Hello and welcome to the Personal Investor Podcast. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, can you be a successful investor while also being part of the solution to the world's great challenges? Investors who put their faith in sustainable investing believe that you can, with an increasing number of us looking to investments which will do no harm. Can the promise of sustainable investing really match those expectations? With the help of expert Julia Dreblow, we hope to answer that question this week. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. More and more of us are aware that the way we invest constitutes a powerful tool in making a positive difference in the world. Investments managed according to a sustainable principle promise a way to do that, but navigating this fast-changing world can be difficult for the uninitiated. Julia Dreblow and her company SRI Services aims to make the job a bit simpler, and I'm very pleased to say that Julia joins me this week to help demystify this area of investing and perhaps to explode a few myths about sustainable investing alone along the way. Julia, welcome along. Um, why don't I start by asking about the rise of sustainable investing? It's not a new thing by any means, but it has been gaining traction recently, not just with individual investors, but with institutions and company management as well. What's led to the increase in attention on, on this topic, would you say? Mm. Yes, hello, and thanks for, thanks for inviting me along. That's great. Um, so, OK, where I draw the line is at the Paris Climate Agreement 2015. Mm. So climate change, I think, was the big issue where people went, crikey, this stuff is real and governments are going to act, which means that the backdrop to businesses is going to change and they started taking it more seriously and a lot more funds started being launched. The funds that existed pre-2015 tended to be those run by people who were personally very interested in sustainability or where there was a requirement within the business to, to solve a problem and look after clients in a particular way because that's how they felt about things. But it really took off around about seven, eight years ago now. People started realising that everything was going to change. So that's, that's really where, where, I, where I draw the line, see two different types of reasons for people coming into the market. And you've been involved in this area of the investing world for, for many years. I mean, I, I mean, even me writing about investments in the last sort of 15 years or so, I can remember ethical funds, ec ecological funds. There were there were always those kinds of ways to invest, but yeah. it does seem the appetite for it is much wider. Obviously, awareness of these issues grows and grows and grows, but it's um, that sort of institutional focus has really accelerated, it seems, um, in the last few Massively. years. Massively. Yeah. Massively. So um, with, with changing regulations and all the shifts that we've seen, um, and, and growing awareness of, of risks and opportunities that relate to sustainability issues. Yeah. People have just started to take it a whole load more seriously. So, so you've got you know, people with different, different motivations coming into it. But yes, there's, you know, the, so the first ethical fund was launched in 84. And I, I first got involved in the area in 91 and, and moved across to the fund, to the fund management house that, that was running those funds in, in 96. And, and you know, the, their motivation for doing it was very different from the company I'd previously been at, where it was all mm. about sustainability. So one was focused on sustainability, another one more on ethics. And I guess I started to learn you know, from very early on that people have different motivations and that you shouldn't judge people. It's just a matter of making sure that they, they get what they want and recognising that investment can do so much. We're not going to transition to net zero or, or basically a sustainable future without investors being on board. Mm. And those people who want to be on board should be. 
Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, a basic tenet of sustainable investing is that um, you, you, you take money that you're going to invest and you advantage those companies that are going to do some good in the world or at least not do harm. And you disadvantage those at the sort of other end of the scale. And in that way, you can kind of bring around change. But beyond that, things do get quite complicated, don't they? And exactly how um, funds hope to achieve this. How would you characterise the different approaches an investor can take to achieve these kind of goals? Yeah, okay. So what what you touched on at the beginning of that question is really the cost of capital bit. And basically, we hope that by directing more money towards more sustainable companies that they they, they benefit financially in, in markets, etc. Um, proving exactly where that doesn't doesn't work is phenomenally hard. And you can pretty much go down a rabbit hole if you're not careful with that one very, very quickly. So, so the way I tend to explain it is to say, look, there are three basic approaches here. You can avoid stuff. So stay yeah. away from things you don't like. You can have a positive approach and support stuff that you do like. So companies doing good things. And you can engage with companies to try and change them. So avoid, support, engage. And engagement has a bit of a mixed reputation. But frankly, if the owners of businesses don't try and encourage those companies to do better, then frankly, they'll carry on doing what they're doing. So so actually, all three of them are really important. But different aspects of that, different combinations work for different individuals. People can be sceptical of one and really positive about another. We've all got different views on these things. And you make a really important point there, I think, which is to say that there's there's no scale for that. I mean, it, it might be that engagement might be the most efficacious thing you could do, but people might not want to do it because it's seen as somehow supporting a business that, that might be doing something they disapprove of in the first place. It's really hard to, to, to say, well, it's, it's, it's not a simple answer, is it? No, it's not. It's, it's, it's absolutely not binary. And you can engage with companies and the company can ignore you. Yeah. You can have companies making promises that hopefully most of the time they will keep them, but sometimes they don't. And, and fund managers can't know that. They're not inside the heads of all the, of all the asset, of all the company management. So, so they, they don't know. They can be engaging in good faith and, and be told they'll do something. And, and there, are, there are members of the public, investors, clients, who are deeply sceptical as a result of that. And there are others that say, crikey, we've got to try. So it's up to an individual to know where, where they sit on that spectrum. And, and a lot of people you know, will want both approaches. They want to avoid stuff they don't like and, and be really positive and, and try and engage with companies. But there's a good number of people who, who will just want one or the other and they, they simply won't be having it with engagement or they won't be having it with, with screening. Um, this is a personal thing. Yeah, and listen, we've, we've painted a picture of a very complicated landscape and categorising and making sense of all those options uh, is really what you and what SRI, SRI services do, including driving the the thinking really behind Fidelity's own sustainable investment finder tool on our website. How have you gone about doing that? I mean, you've touched on it a little bit. Um, And what are the main challenges in dividing up this huge investing universe for investors? So how do we go about it? So we start with um, a list of funds, or we're constantly looking for more funds that are doing activity in this area. And we have a look at what they say they're doing. And we look at the kinds of language that they use. They look, we look at things like whether or not they're talking about just protecting their own assets. Are they, are they trying to just make sure that you're not going to lose money? 
Or are they really trying to direct capital towards companies that are solving problems? So solutions companies that are having positive impacts, doing good things, or transitioning towards doing more and more good things. So you look at the terminology and the language. You can sense check that with, with information on holdings. But very often, you know, if, you, if you work for a fund manager, you'll know that you'll have pages and pages of, of reports and data on companies. So it's really a matter of crunching that down. So it's a matter of bringing together bits of different information to form an opinion. Now, we, we deliberately don't have 50 different categories because then it would get very, very specific. But generally, we're helping people to get started to say, OK, this fund is really into sustainability or this one is more about just tilting towards slightly more sustainable companies so one would be solving problems the other ones would be trying to manage down risk and that's different mentality different type of client that it's suitable to and uh, given what you say these sort of different approaches of, of of coming at it it's probably true to say then that an investor they can't simply outsource their sort of conscience and they can't say I just want to invest in a way that is is never going to do any harm. It's, it's really not as simple as that. It's not for the want of trying, but it's you can never second guess what someone's individual values are. It, it's you, you, an investor has to be more engaged, right? Uh, absolutely. So there are some um, in the industry who almost imply that they can do it all for you, and and of course there are many really good portfolios, but the thing you've got to do is to look at what they say because only the individual can know how they feel about yeah. things so it, it's you know a lot of this is very very personal um, whether you care about climate change child labor um, human rights issues whatever you you can you can only know that yourself um, mm. no fund manager can tell you what what's important to you yeah in fact we were talking before we came on to um, record today we were talking about the difficulty of that task as you know different sectors emerge we're actually talking about the tech se- tech sector and some of the sort of ethical concerns that people have that around that i mean that it might be too early to pick up on the um, concerns in an industry like that but even something that's more established fossil fuel companies something like you know those kind of industries that people might not want to invest in those might be the companies doing some of the best work in terms of innovation around climate change it can be really really difficult it, it, it can be um and, and you've got to cut through the difference between marketing and perhaps if you like spin and, and reality so you know you would expect an asset manager to be looking at capital expenditure and you know what the company's actually doing there r&d etc on on renewables and clean energy rather than just taking them at face value with with the adverts etc that they put out um things like uh, big tech obviously and anyone who's got kids or, or, or you know, friends with kids knows that, that, that there are issues that are brewing. Um, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not necessarily in control of their own decision-making for being addicted to their screens. Um, I think probably most of us use our screens too much. But, you know, there are definitely issues there brewing and it, it has implications for democracy and beyond. So, you know, these are really big subjects that, that, that investors will increasingly start to have to focus on. But right now... You know, the challenges and of course the regulators are focused on how do we get to net zero so so fossil fuels are really in very very sharp sharp focus now and, and they're at different levels so you can be looking at whether or not um, you're looking at just oil and gas majors or particular types of extraction or whether or not they're searching out new uh, new sources of, of fossil fuels oil, oil gas whatever and then it takes you down the investment chain along banking and insurance and those areas as well so that there's a really 
big focus on that. But but as you say, this this evolves over time. This will keep changing, and that's why you can have no single set of rules saying this is right, this is wrong. It doesn't work like that. This is they're continually shifting sands. Yeah, and it, it makes me really interested in what what you specifically do. We're we. You know, I work in the world of investment. It's a very sort of uh, quantitative world. You know, it's a very sort of numbers-driven world. But actually, mm. a lot of this stuff is qualitative, and it's 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 thinking about um, nuance, and it's thinking about you know the sort of human behaviours, and that can't always be put down in in numbers, right? No, and, th- and that's right. That's one of the reasons um, sometimes this area gets criticised because it's not black and white. And, and there, there are people who out there who try and pretend it is, but they tend to get themselves in hot water because, frankly, it isn't. Because if you're running a portfolio of, say, 50 stocks and you've got maybe, you know, boards of directors with each of those companies, each of those directors are going to have different opinions. There'll be strategy changes, acquisitions, sales of particular divisions. There'll, there'll be things that happen all the time on multiple different levels that the board makeup may change over time. Um, so so it is, it's really, really hard to to put your finger on exactly what a fund does or doesn't do because they'll be looking at the companies individually. Now, a lot of people do like to have um, funds being driven by data. Um, data can help, for sure. It has a part to play. But but a lot of the time it's about, well, how is the board management thinking about these issues? What's their direction of travel? How are they how are they likely to evolve the business going forwards? And, of course, for an individual investor where you're investing maybe for 20, 30 years, maybe more, you know that that that's far more important. So understanding what the purpose of the fund is, what it's what it's for, what the what the fund is really trying to get at, you know, is it trying to uh, support solutions or is it just trying to manage down risks? And are they considering this issue or that issue? So so yeah, it's a complicated mix, and and it's it's really one of the descriptions people often use is it's art and science. Yeah, it's not one or the other. It's a combination of both. And, and I'm really keen for people listening to this conversation today, perhaps if they're interested in trying to uh, invest sustainably, you know, what's a useful takeaway for them from the conversation? Would it be that, look, you might not alight upon the perfect solution for you, the perfect fund that invests exactly as you personally would do it, but you can get close, you can get closer than the sort of average and, you know, don't let that get in the way of, not investing this way you know you, it might not be perfect but it still can make a difference um for sure so i think i used the phrase earlier don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good earlier and 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 you know that that's that's right look most investment funds are invested entirely to make profit so by far the majority of assets sitting out there in the world are chasing nothing more than the bottom line there is a growing leading edge, if you like, of the investment market, which, yes, it's taken a lot of money recently, but it still represents a very small fraction of, of the entire market. Those are companies that are trying to offer managers who are trying to do things differently, saying we are looking specifically to appeal to clients who want to make money in ways that are not harmful to the planet or to people. And their definition of not harmful will vary very slightly. But the direction of travel will be infinitely closer to how an individual investor who cares about such things thinks than a fund that doesn't consider those issues. But one of the things I think I'd add in there is be really careful of the difference between ESG and sustainability. Yes. ESG is about risk mitigation, right? So it's about looking about companies being well managed. So you can have a massively polluting company or an arms company that's incredibly well managed. So they can have a high ESG score. By not not people like ourselves, we don't do that. Um, 
whereas another fund will be looking at sustainability and they'll, they'll have a vision of the future. So they'll say, okay, well, where we've got to get to is over here. And most ethical funds run along that basis as well. So they, they're looking at the kind of values that will get us to where we've got to get to in the future in order to, to protect the planet for, for, for ourselves and for future generations. Yeah, indeed. Well, um, let, let's turn to some slightly more topical issues affecting sustainable investing. Uh, I wanted to talk about returns over the past couple of years from these kind of investments, because as you say, these aren't donations to charity, are they? They, they are investments at the end of the day. Um, we've had two huge events that have dominated economics and uh, markets in the past couple of years. We've had pandemic of course we've had the first land war major land war in europe um for decades as well how would you character characterize the past two years in terms of performance of sustainable funds and how those things have affected it yeah so the performance has been has been mixed but one of the things i try and explain to people is that you know these are truly investments right we're not talking about philanthropy here we are talking about people investing in a particular way in order to maximise profits or, or to, to, to make money anyway. You're not maximising short-term profitability, but you're saying, I'm taking this view of the future because this company is likely to succeed going forwards because we know there are regulatory shifts, we know there are attitudinal changes in society, we know things are going to be different in future, and this company is well aligned to that. The last few years has been pretty crazy by any measure. Um, both, both pandemic and then, of course, uh, the, the war in Ukraine, um, have have changed the dynamics, and you, the companies have done well very often are those that funds in in my area tend to exclude. So if those companies do well, then the relative performance of the funds that I'm involved in will will be on average worse. The question is though, what what's going to happen in the long term? What what vision has a client got of the future? How are they comfortable investing? And how do you think the dynamics, the risks and opportunities will pan out? Well, we can certainly say that climate change is an absolutely massive great risk for, you know, for, inter for business internationally, for people, for us as you know, regular folk who are concerned about people around the world and, and of course, ourselves. So, so the dynamics, if you like, are, are, very, are very mixed on that one. Yeah. And actually, one of the most persuasive things I've heard about, uh, or, you know, said in connection with sustainable investing is that when companies are run with that eye on the long term and their sustainable future and their, the, the, their presence in societies and in communities, that takes a sort of a, a forward, a kind of forward thinking that probably suggests they're just good companies in other ways as well, right? I mean, it probably just suggests they they have an eye on on their role, their markets, and ensuring that they're still around in a few years' time to actually be making money for their investors. Yeah, absolutely. And that was that was the logic that kicked off the boom in, in ESG as opposed to sustainability, which is saying these companies are basically better run companies. They understand environmental, social issues. And they are, you know, their governance, so their management, the way in which the businesses are run is, is strong, and therefore they are more likely to succeed going forwards. Um, the difference between that and sustainability, of course, is that sustainability is focusing on the future. So I think many of us would very strongly argue that, that a company that understands sustainability risks and opportunities and is going after really the growth areas of the future is more likely to succeed. Um, whether or not they succeed when there's a war on, um, yeah, that's this, that's a different subject, really. But but listen, most people don't invest for just a couple of years, and, and they shouldn't invest just for a couple of years. These are long-term investments. So, 
Um, you know, re- recent markets have been have been tough, but but yeah, if you've got sound management and an understanding of of what the future looks like, then then by and large, providing you've got a decent fund manager in place who's well read, got access to really good information, etc., then then these are good things. Yeah. Okay. Well, finally, um, Julia, before before I let you go, I, I do know that you're involved as well in the regulatory side of this industry, um, and look, you know. There are promises being made to investors in terms of sustainable investing um, that are going to be tested perhaps in the in the years to come. How would you sum up the discourse around sustainable investing right now? Where do you think you were headed in terms of the rules that are governing it and, and are they doing the job that they need to do? Yeah, okay. So um, I, I've been very involved with the FCA and others. Um, I've kind of worked at an industry level for quite a long time now and I've helped feed into the um, SDR, which is Sustainability Disclosure uh, Regulations, and then the labelling that, that's coming along. Now, the real, the, one of the main issues, well, there are two main objectives to those rules. One is that they're trying to address greenwash, which is people being misled. Now, the labels do that. So what the, one of the problems we've had recently is that people have looked at funds where the focus has been engagement, so stewardship activity, trying to be responsible stewards of money, and, and voting with... Um, voting their shares in a particular way to try and encourage companies to have higher standards. And and that can be done in, in the worst of worst of companies. And some of those funds are invested in in some companies that anyone interested in sustainability would find really worrying. So we we've separated those funds out by giving them now th- this isn't finalised yet, but the proposal is that we give them an improver label. So that we're saying, well okay, those funds are absolutely fine to be run like that and they can be given a sustainable improver label, providing they're proving that they are investing in companies that have got the ability to improve and the intention to improve and showing what progress is being made over time. And you separate those out from funds which are being called sustainable focus funds, which is those that focus on companies that have already met certain sustainability criteria, whatever it is that the fund publishes that they're looking for. So the companies generally will be solid, sound, decent, high standard type companies. And then there's the impact label, which is looking at those funds where there's a really clear focus on real world outcomes and benefits. Now, these rules are literally yet to be finalised exactly how they work. But underpinning all of that is a series of other um, proposals. So things like additional disclosure, both for fund level and entity level, so fund management level, um, fund management, asset management company level. And there'll be levels of different types of information required for it um, to be directed towards clients and more detailed information that will be required for industry professionals. But that information should be made public as well. So it should be accessible to those clients who've got a really good interest in, uh, big interest in the area. Um, there'll be a new anti-greenwash rule to make sure that clients aren't being misled. And you know, a lot of that comes under existing regulation, but it hasn't really been in sharp focus, which is why we've got into the trouble where we are now, where people have said, oh, we don't, we don't believe what these funds are doing. But by, by separating out the different types of approaches, someone will see that you know, an area isn't perhaps for them and they'll be able to more readily find a fund that, that suits what they're looking for. It won't take you down to the issues that they consider, so it won't say if it's looking at sustainability across the board or environmental or social, they'll all be lumped in together, so you'll have to read further. But but yeah, so so look, we're making progress. It's not um, it's not going to solve all the problems overnight, 
but it will help to straighten up in people's minds what kind of funds they're looking at and make sure they've got access to information should they be so inclined to actually spend the time reading it, which obviously if they're very interested, they should. Um, there's additional regulations that are coming along as well. There's, lot, there's so much happening in this area. But the FCA has also just put out a paper on how to, how to make um, investment uh, focus more on, on uh, well, positive approach to sustainability. So looking at remuneration packages, etc., that investment managers, asset management companies, just looking at a whole range of things like training as well um, to look at what drives particular behaviours. So there's going to be loads more to come on this area. Um, BSI doing loads of standards. There's lots more yet to come. But the good thing is that government and their regulatory arms are now taking this seriously and we're moving forwards and we will tidy this up and we will improve things. But people will still always have to match what they think to what a fund does because no fund manager knows what a client wants so you're going to have to actually use your knowledge of yourself to help choose something that makes sense for you and the the rules really will provide guide rails guardrails they won't they won't tell you what the right track is but they'll they'll sort of put funds within the right parameters so you know that you're looking at something that's legitimate Good. Well, Julia, I mean, it's been an absolute education. Um, so thank you so much for coming in and talking us uh, through it all. It is all the time we have for now. Thanks for joining me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.